Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, it is a Friday as we record this, which is great. And I can, you can tell what I'm thinking about already, even though it's early in the morning. Trish, if your character, if you say, if you were a cocktail, Trish, which cocktail would you be? Oh my goodness. These are very challenging questions on a Friday morning, this early in the morning. Okay, if I were a cocktail... You know, I think I would be a Manhattan. Nice. Okay. You know, a little saucy, a little tiny bit sweet. Yeah, I think I'd be a Manhattan. What about you? What would you be? Oh, easy. Trish, old fashioned. That's it. <laughs> Both from a cocktail perspective oh. and a lifestyle perspective. You know, that's so true. I'm much more cosmopolitan than you are, I think. Yeah. Uh, Coming from the Midwest, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's 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 a story for another show. The pandemic has oh, like affected goodness. me. Like that's a tough. I, think one. I, I feel like my answer five was years bad. of pandemic. I, I'll be fine. I don't have to go anywhere. I got it. I got it. Well, listen. Hey, when our guest comes on, we're going to have to ask we, her and we see. Well, she has the chance to think about her answer too. So this is going to be a fun show, Trish. We have a, an old friend of ours coming on the show, talk about human capital, human capital technology. Someone who shockingly has never been on this show before we just learned. But before we welcome her, Trish, we must thank our friends at Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. With the onset of COVID-19, Paychex quickly responded to support businesses and help them manage the new challenges brought on by the pandemic. The Paychex COVID-19 Help Center is the ultimate comprehensive resource hub featuring articles, videos, scenario tools, live webinars, and podcasts that provide valuable and up-to-date insight on stimulus measures, managing a remote or hybrid workforce, travel restrictions, state-specific guidance, and much more. To access this valuable information, go to payx.me, that's payx.me slash help center today. It's good stuff there, Trish. I've checked it out recently, and they, they do a great job of keeping that up-to-date. They do. I've actually looked as well. And you know what? I was thinking today, just this morning, as I was getting ready for the show, I was listening to NPR and they were talking about how schools are starting to consider not making kids come back next year and that they will have a hybrid choice as well. And my first thought actually was, I wonder if any of the material that Paychex has compiled will actually help people who are in school roles making those decisions as well. Because again, much like a workplace, having a hybrid school situation, I think would be pretty similar to bringing kids back. So anyway, I will be checking that out and seeing if there's anything applicable. Cool. Good stuff. All right. Let's get on with the show. Trish, our guest today, longtime friend, first time guest, Chris Havrilla. She leads the human capital technology and solution provider strategy, advisory, research, and sensing practices for Deloitte Consulting. She helps to demystify the ever-changing HR tech landscape for both organizations and solution providers. She has been named an Analytica Top 25 Global Consultancies Influencer across all C-suite topic categories, as well as AI, emerging tech, and future of work subcategories, and is also a human resource executive Top 100 HR tech influencer. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am incredible. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Finally, this is it. Yeah. This is it. Check. You've made I it. I have made it. <laughs> My work is done here. Nice. All right. <laughs> well, let's have you take on the question of the day before we get into some of our uh, human capital conversation. You have a cocktail, Cabrilla, that, that I, I do. And thank goodness. You? <laughs> thank goodness. 
this, I had a minute to think about it because this was this was me when Trish was going, you know, thinking about it. I was like, don't say Manhattan, don't say Manhattan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She's done it. I, um, I'm going to go uh, French 75. Ooh, that's a good I'm one. I'm going to go kind of classic, refreshing, bubbly. That's a good one. At least one. she didn't say classic and bougie and ratchet. Yep, bougie. <laughs> I actually, made, we were on one of the work break shows, Trish, I made a French 75 on one of the Friday shows some months back. Uh, I remember shows. that. That's a, gr- that's a great one. We, we need to start keeping track, Steve. This should maybe, it is the happy hour. Maybe that's our new thing. We ask every person that in addition to whatever question you have, but, and <laughs> we right. need a list. We need yeah, a list of like, you know, with the that. recipe, maybe that's it. When we post the show, the, the recipe gets posted for their drink. Oh, I love it. Not a bad idea. Like that? Just came up with that on the fly. How's that? All right. Well, we'll save that for our other podcast, uh, Cocktails uh, Today. Uh, but this <laughs> is the HR today. Happy Hour show. We want to talk about HR, human capital, HR tech. Chris, uh, let's start with this. We have, over the years, had always done an annual show with someone from Deloitte uh, when the Human Capital Trends Report would come out every year because it's such a comprehensive report. It's always interesting. It's uh, thought-provoking, kind of, I always called it essential reading. Uh, and I, I do believe it still is uh, for folks in this space. Maybe we'll start there. Is there anything that stuck out to you once that data and that report came together? And, and how does that reflect what you've been working on in some of your research work yourself that you're doing? Absolutely. You know, f- first and foremost, so uh, something a little different about trends this year, we have two. <laughs> so we uh, we will come out with part two. Oh, wow. um, okay. Yep. Uh, in June. So it's, um, you know, and and I think it was especially fascinating this year because, you know, of COVID. Um, And so we took a deeper look at everything from 2020 and and dove deeper. So the, the thing that's great about trends, though, is it is, it's pretty informative for my own work, right? So I, you know, I kind of laughingly described uh, trends as the, oh my God, what, right? It's like the attention getter, right? And it tells us kind of where people's awareness is and then that huge kind of gap between awareness and readiness. And, you know, we spend a lot of our time in research and sensing kind of diving deeper and kind of, okay, now what, right? Um, and so uh, this year's no, no different. But the thing that stood out to me the most this year, A, was it was the first time in I don't know, 11 years that the business executives outweighed the HR executives in our respondents, um, kind of 56% to 44%. So that was huge. I think it really underscored like how prevalent human capital issues were uh, for the C-suite, you know, especially after the this last year. Um, the other part of it was the stark difference, like the complete huge jumps in some of the numbers post-pandemic, right? And I think the one that really stood out to me probably the most was prior to COVID-19, you know, executives were kind of, I would say pretty mixed, right? On their preparedness for, you know, kind of the constant disruptions, you know, what's our preparedness strategy? And it was pretty evenly divided between none, right? or kind of a, uh, you know, maybe a focus on likely or incremental type events. <clears throat> and then uh, 
And then also to some degree, the, the focus on multiple scenarios. So it's pretty evenly divided with a very, very small portion saying we'll be focusing on highly, un, you know, unlikely events, right? I just think that wasn't a focus and you saw that jump tremendously. Um, the other side of it was how much people were looking at work itself. And, you know, we had prior to the, the pandemic, um, you know, probably, uh, you know, again, maybe a, a pretty even split among, amongst optimizing work, redesigning work, and, and reimagining work. That went completely like literally 97% moved into that, you know, optimizing, redesigning, and reimagining work. Like it flipped. And reimagining work, which is way kind of far off in the spectrum, where it was like 29% of executives believing re, you know, reimagination of work would be critical to future success, was like 29% post uh, the pandemic jumped to 61%. So it was huge. Okay. And, and the work part for me has been a huge focus because as the tech person, right, Tech really should, in my mind, and not always in practice, but should be the thing that really helps us work completely different. How we work, how work gets done should change. The reality is most people kind of lift and shift, right? And move from one tech to the other, bring another piece of tech in, but they don't actually work differently. So it really inspired for me this year what, the, what I'll be focusing on the most, and that is this notion of re-architecting work which re-architecting is really just the practice of reimagining work. So how, now what, what do we actually do? And, um, and so for me, that's, that'll be the focus of my work for this year. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thanks for also just kind of talking about the sort of the drastic flips there, because those are things that you're right. We've, we've sort of pushed for leaders to think about over the past decade or so, maybe longer. And, now, when something big happens, then you finally see them like, oh, we probably do need to pay attention to sort of this future of work idea that's now suddenly here. So um, also just one other comment. I really love how you talk about the gap between awareness and readiness, because while I think that that's been something that business leaders have struggled with for many years, this has been the year, this past year has been a year where we've all been sort of hit in the face with it, if you will. Yeah. And you know, we, we know now we have to be ready, right? Be ready for those disruptions. Um, constant, I, right? I mean, absolutely. literally constant perpetual disruption. And it isn't about transformation so much anymore. It's like, how do we absorb all this and react, right? Right, exactly. Um, one question for you came to mind as you were talking about sort of your focus, you know, going forward on this re-architecting work. Do you talk to or think much about sort of the younger generation coming up into the workforce or does Deloitte focus on that at all? I'm not sure in the report if it's more just focused on the business leaders answering or is there any thought to sort of thinking about young people who might be going through these disruptions, whether it be in high school or college and, and their vision of what re-architecting work might need to be or is that still a little bit early? You know, we do do studies, you know, millennials, you know, but, but for human capital, no, we focus mostly 
you know, on business leaders. Now that doesn't mean, you know, we do get a, a pretty heavy cross section, but it's, you know, it really is, um, when you think about the notion of work, um, it really has to be structured in a way that keeps them in mind, right? Keeps, I mean, we've five generations in the workforce right now. Right. And, and a lot of the data that we see that we study is, you know, the kid, they kind of really want a lot of the same things, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we studied well-being, you know, we didn't study it in, it, or even belonging, you know, so much from generational side, because we had insane amount of consensus that, I mean, like things that we've never even seen before around belonging and well-being and things like that. And everything kept coming down to how connected people were to the work, to their teams, you know, how well they collaborated together. Um, You know, this notion of well-being, we've done all this you know, spent literally millions and billions of dollars on wellness programs um, and not enough around the actual work redesign, which was the biggest connect that we saw when it comes to work. People want to be connected to their work. They want to make an impact. They want to know this work is, you know, like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Right. And, and it really comes into play with this notion of re-architecting work because this isn't about process right this is about um and it's not about output it's not about activities anymore it's not about any of that it's and i think the pandemic really really brought that to light right it was who cares about how you know what do we need to do when do we need to do it why do we need to do it connect people to the work those are outcomes not output we can't see people doing the work we can't see people you know to check the box we know they're working because we can see it right? We connected them to the work and we saw productivity go up, right? But how do you maintain that? How do you maintain that when everybody now just wants to kind of go back to normal? And how we maintain that is looking at work in a very different way. And that's about outcomes. So it's not, you know, process steps, um, which weren't working anyway, by the way. Anybody who's actually watched a process flow, like, oh, here's my process map. That's not what's happening out there, right? You know, so this is really about flow and it's about how do we arm people with the information they need, the tools they need to get the outcomes? How do we connect them to that and hold people accountable to outcomes, not output, right? And it's so this spans generations, right? People want to believe in what they do and they want to know they're making an impact and they want some modicum of control over what they do. And when they have it, it soars. Chris, I want to ask you about technology uh, mm-hmm. in this way. So I've thought this for a long time, uh, and I've been doing this for a while, as, as we all have, right, around enterprise technology. And one of the things I've, I've theorized and I believe is true is that, especially at the high end, the enterprise technologies that, that are sort of available, right, in the HDM space mm-hmm. tend to just converge over time. They're not that different. They're all a little bit different, but they all, at the end of the day, they're fairly similar, right? When company A adopts something, company B, C, and D adopted as well. Up very quickly. Yeah, they do. Can, I mean, that makes sense. I get what that, that does. They react to the market a little bit. Sure. Um, and these technologies are also available, right? Especially to the larger companies, right? The, the Fortune 1000 companies, they could choose any one of them that they want, right? And so could their competitors. Here, that's the point I'm trying to make, right? So the companies themselves, in my opinion, are not a differentiator 
to the organizations who, um, who implement them, right? Not on their surface. So I guess my question is, how do organizations actually drive uh, significant impact or maybe competitive differentiation when all of their competitors have access to the same tools they do, if that makes sense? What, 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 what do the smart organizations do to actually increase the value that they get out of their HCM technologies? I mean, it really comes down to how they use it, right? I mean, like I can give you the best, most expensive hammer in the world. I can give you, you know, the cheap hammer. Um, but if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know that it takes two hits of a hammer to get a nail in, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't, the smart organizations learn how to wield the tool. You know, tools don't solve problems, people solve problems, right? Uh, with tools in hand. And so I think it's the application and the use of technology. And it kind of goes back to what I referred to earlier. Most people, and we found this in the high impact tech strategy work that we did, um, you know, uh, that Aaron Spencer and I've worked on, but, you know, very few people actually have a strategy. Um, very few organizations actually know everything they have. Um, and, you know, and again, when they bring tools and technology in, they don't necessarily change how they fundamentally work, right? Um, they are still doing the same processes. They're still kind of doing it. So the, you know, the best, you know, most impactful um, organizations are re-looking at the work when they bring that technology in, right? And so, uh, and I write a lot about this in, you know, around that notion of super teams that we started writing about in 2020 trends, right? You know, we've, I, I know personally, you know, I've been kind of talking about tech um, as part of the talent equation for a really long time, right? Like, you know, how do we, how, do they, how does it assist us, right? If I'm gonna hire an assistant, you know, how can, I, how can I use it? So how do we bring technology onto the team? Not in that kind of substitution mentality where, you know, people kind of got brought it in because we wanna substitute or move around work. How do we save costs, right? You know, um, how do we um, reduce headcount? You know, it was all about substitution. And then we started seeing with cognitive technologies coming and things like that, maybe we can augment people, right? Make them a little bit more productive. How can we squeeze a little bit more lemon juice out of this lemon, right? But, you know, it's still, you know, I think when we get to something super impactful, right? We're looking at it as a collaborator on the team, right? Like, how can I use your strengths? How can I use your strengths, right? And we know a lot of this technology now can cull through data, see trends, see things, see blind spots, see things we haven't seen. So I think, you know, going back to that notion of flow, right? If we're, if we're move away from kind of the input process output world that we've always lived in, right? And start thinking of what's the question I'm trying to answer? What's the outcome I'm trying to get, right? Like, even if it's crazy, like what, what, what do I want? And then what's in between? is what we need to make action and take or take action and make decisions. And I think that's the differentiator. We see high performing organizations five times more likely to leverage new technologies to augment human skills and capabilities. Um, they're the ones that are, are really rethinking how we work and how work gets done. And I think that lens of how are we making work better for people and people better at work is the one we have to put on when we're looking at technology and how we apply it. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think too, as you were talking, I'm sitting there picturing so much of this isn't really about the technology itself. It's about the communication between the leaders and the organization and whether or not they are all working toward an outcome model, or if they're still back in the process, um, you know, weeds that they've been in for a while. Um, when you, the hammer example is great because I was thinking too, sort of when you said, know the sort of the technology and the tools you have, because I think too, sometimes we, we hear of leaders who either read about trends or hear about things that are possible. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're going back to their teams expecting those outcomes, but yet they don't know if the technology they have in place can actually achieve those or even give them those kinds of analysis and recommendations. They, they might, or they might not. Um, so I sort of think of it as like, even know the, know the type of hammer you have, right? You may think you have a sledgehammer and you really don't. You have a regular hammer that's going to take a lot more work to get to those yeah. outcomes. So it's like, what are you trying to do? And when strategy, exactly. and what we found was that most people's strategy was implementation, right? You know, we get this was, and then- Yeah, it, Chris, when you were talking about organizations <laughs> lacking a strategy, I, I was going to say like, the strategy can't be implement a new ATS. That's right. a strategy, right? That's a project, yeah. but that's not- outcomes yeah. right it's, you know i mean and and in that notion of flow that's where it should be right is you know okay what are my outcomes what's the question trigger event whatever right what are the outcomes i'm trying to give and what decisions do i have to make and we have a problem making decisions in organizations it is a muscle set we have all this data all these analytics you know all of these things this, Yet what's, this makes me wonder, Chris, though, sorry to interrupt, but I feel like, and I, I don't know if I've really thought of it this way before, but you know, if I'm a CEO 10 years ago, yeah, we had this data, but I didn't, I wasn't really pushed to necessarily have a strategy. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, I mean, I wonder, are you seeing that at all? Sort of like, I don't want to say panic among the CEOs, but will this, will this ability to have technology give you and serve up all of the data in this different way, will this really push maybe some of those CEOs that are kind of average to below average when it comes to running a company, will this maybe bring them to light a little bit? Because I think as the technology gets better, as your HR teams get smarter about seeing what's really going on, what outcomes are really going on in an organization, is that going to out the CEO or other C-suite leaders? You know, it's, 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 I love the question because, you know, I do think as we have looked at, you know, even this notion of transformation, incremental change has been the name of the game, right? Mm -hmm. Which keeps status quo. I mean, nobody says it, right? We all say we want transformation. We all say we want big stuff, but, you know, if we're just, if we're edging up, we're, you know, we're golden. What has happened, though, with all of this perpetual disruption all the time is that, you know, transformation, like, it's not even really the topic anymore. Like, it's more about absorption, right? And who can do this, you know, who can do it fast, you know, who can do it at scale, right? Who can, you know, like, how, how do you absorb all this change, right, and, and, and really truly actually be agile, right? And and again, that kind of falls in, how do you use these tools? How do you use the insights? How do you, you know, act appropriately? You know, how do you act in the best way to uh, remain agile? 
the average shelf life, and you and I have talked about this, the average shelf life of a skill, it's like 18 to 36 months right now, right? right. Competing business models and threats all the time. You've got all this stuff. It's, it's not a matter of, you know, if it's you got, it's a matter of when, right? Who absorbs this best and who can be, you know, who can do it kind of speed at scale and, and with the insights to make good decisions, right? So. Yeah, one more thing from me, Chris, I wanted to ask yeah. about, I saw in, in your notes, uh, and it speaks a little bit to the, this idea of agility, right? And organizations yeah. being able to adapt uh, much faster to changing conditions yeah. and, and interact with um, uh, resources, talent in different ways. And, I, and I've seen a ton of this, right? Last year when I was doing top HR products of the year demos all summer long, I saw yeah. several examples of this and it's on talent and opportunity marketplaces. And yeah. you guys have some research on that, which I don't think I've seen anyone actually dig into it. I've seen a bunch of them myself, but I, you know, I didn't, right. I didn't actually share that information with anybody, quite frankly, kept it to myself. <laughs> But I'd love, hey, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you're seeing there why, and why it matters. And for folks who maybe haven't started, folks listening to this show, haven't really started uh, getting into this concept of a talent marketplace or an opportunity marketplace, whatever word you're calling it, every vendor calls right. it something different. Every, yeah, everybody's why, why is it important <laughs> to be thinking about uh, different, yeah. different terminology? But it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I haven't seen anybody look at the space comprehensively um and so when we did this you know we were doing it for that reason because we had a host of um you know internally and externally people you know wanting to to talk about this but we you know we started looking at it really closely in 2019 in trends right because you know we really could tell from our data that you know if you were going to win the war for talent it was kind of going to be on the home front right and so and how flawed the, um, you know, kind of how we look at mobility, right, um, was already, right? And it wasn't, it was less about system and much more systemic issues, managers blocking people, you know, trying to hold on to talent, um, you know, we're, we're capping people's, you know, um, wages, right? You know, I can move you to this position, but I can only give you a 5% raise. You know, it was harder to find a job, you know, in a company than it was to, you know, to do it outside, right? And so, you know, we started looking at this notion of marketplaces early on and, and following some really interesting, you know, uh, interesting uh, trends that we were seeing. And so we, we started doing a, a really, like, big look at the landscape of technology. And I'm going to tell you something, you know, there is a ton of innovation in this space, right? But not a lot of readiness yet at the organizational level to absorb it. They're really just thinking about it in terms of internal talent mobility, right? And kind of this, you know, worker progression and career mobility and things like that. And how do we hold on to our talent, you know, that have the tribal knowledge? Um, but we started realizing that the marketplace was really kind of being covered in three different ways across the technology, certainly internal mobility, uh, but also this notion of developmental, right, and giving workers like an opportunity to develop skills and capabilities and, and things like that. And then, you know, even further to that, <clears throat> this notion of maybe a brokerage, right? So, internal, external, but right now, most organizations are still just kind of 
looking at this from a, um, a pure internal talent mobility perspective, but um, I definitely think that um, what we're seeing with the technology, like if organizations are really opening to looking at this notion of, we have work that needs to be done, outcomes, right? And we need to be able to access the skills and capabilities to get that work done, right? And we have to look at it across the, the talent spectrum. Again, machines as collaborators, you know, the whole alternative workforce, you know, how do we tap into all of this talent, right, to, to do the work? But there's also a mindset shift that has to happen at the worker level too. And that is, I'm not going up a career ladder anymore. I'm not doing, you know, I'm, I'm accessing experiences, right? Because again, that shelf life of a skill thing is real. And we know people that are struggling to, you know, they're looking for work, but they don't know how to translate what's their inherently human capabilities into other ways so that they can truly learn in the flow of work. But with skill, shelf life of a skill being so low, right? Like what, how am I accessing learning constantly? How am I accessing experiences constantly that I can apply? Uh, to other things, and and because you can't reskill at scale, everybody's talking about reskilling. How do you reskill at scale when the shelf life is that small? So anyway, I think that's why this notion of a marketplace, how it will end up playing out down the road, is interesting. But there are three ways to look at it, right? And internal mobility is just scratching the surface. So um, it's a really interesting study, um, and uh, I'll give you guys links and. Yeah, we'll post that in, in the show notes. I'm fascinated by it because I'm, I'm waiting to see how it evolves as well. Because what most yeah. of what I saw last summer was good, but it was still just getting to the beginning stages of it. So if you were a manager, yeah. say, in an organization and you needed someone to work on your project for, for two weeks, yeah. for 10 right. hours a week to yeah. do with XYZ skill, and you could post that opportunity and other yeah. folks in the organization could bid for it. But what or, or submit for it, but there wasn't yet, oh, I didn't see this anyway, a, a way for that manager to look at alternative sources of filling that yep. need, which might've mm -hmm. been Fiverr or some gig marketplace or yep. a, a, a technology itself. You know, there's a technology that can Absolutely. do that thing you need done and we don't need yeah. any person to do it. So I think maybe that's where it's heading, but super interesting. So I'm there's glad some, you guys yeah, are, there's are some looking fascinating at Fascinating tech out there right now. And, but it is going to be all about how people apply it you know, yeah. like mindset wise, it's going to have to be a shift. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, this is really good stuff. We will get some links in the show notes. Uh, so folks should definitely read the human capital trends report every year. Yeah. I read it every year. I love it. Yeah, I, I, we got to talk about it a little bit as well as the talent uh, opportunity marketplace stuff you guys are doing as well. Is there anything else, uh, Chris, is there anything else maybe you want to tease, say in the balance of 2021, that might be interesting, or maybe it's just an idea you have. It's like, boy, I'm thinking about this. I'm not yeah. I haven't quite maybe done it yet, but I'm maybe the second part of the year. I want to, yeah. I'm maybe spending some time on this. What might be down the road uh, from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, it is truly this notion of re-architecting work. That's the study I'm doing right now. The other one is, um, you know, we're doing a high impact in another one of our high impact uh, studies on culture change. And, you know, I've always been this kind of believer that, okay, you want to change your culture, blow up your leadership team and change your talent model. And there you go, right? <laughs> it's not something that's so easy, but I'm going to take an angle in this study. It's not my study, 
but I'm going to take an angle in it on um, the impact that AI, like if we're actually going to bring technology onto the team that will change the culture, like, cause we are going to work differently um, or should be. And so this nurture and this kind of notion of how uh, bringing AI onto the team will change your culture. And, you know, are you going to be in the driver's seat of that or are you going to just kind of let that shit happen? So good stuff. Anyway, I'll send all that to you. Awesome. Well, we look forward to it. Have, we'll have to have you back on. Maybe when that comes out, when that research is out it. or yeah, yeah, it's been, we've known you forever. Your first time, long time listener, first time guest, you first know, after guest. 12 years of the show, which is, I guess and my if fault. You want to tear it up on talent and opportunity marketplaces. I'll bring the findings and the data. Like it's like part of this is like any other kind of new way of thinking. Pulling the organizations through is going to be half the battle. There's some incredible tech out there, you know, but would people use it? Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole nother show you can do about, you know, from the, from the technology provider perspective of how far ahead of your customers should you be versus uh, can you afford exactly. to be? I have a whole chart on the outpacing of, of technology and HR, you know, and it's like, how do you keep up? But that's, that's yeah, a little I mean, bit of this notion of absorption that we're talking about. I it's remember like, working on something years ago that was so innovative, so cool, so cutting edge, and we couldn't even give it away, much less yeah. sell it. Couldn't give it exactly. away to, like, yeah. to get people mm-hmm. to try and use it because we were their, their mind space was just not there. It was, it was there, yeah. It was too far. Exactly. All right, awesome. we'll let you go. We will, we'll have okay. to save this second part of the conversation for another show. Otherwise, we'll be Absolutely. here all day. <laughs> Chris, good thanks to see you. Thanks for coming on. Good yeah, this was guys. wonderful. And thanks Love for it. the insights that uh, that the HR professionals out there can be thinking about as they head into the second half of the year already, right? Getting yeah. close. Good, good stuff. Exactly. All Have right. A good one. Good uh, thank weekend, you, Chris. You thank you, Trish. Thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course. Of course. For all their support. Good stuff, Trish. We will see you next time on the HR Happy Hour Show. For Trish McFarland, for Chris Avila, my name's Steve Bose. Remember to subscribe. Bye for now.